Good morning. We are in this uh, sermon series entitled that we are no longer slaves. Amen. Today we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 12 as we've gone through the series on Deuteronomy. We have been taking a look at the different ways that God has freed the Israelites, have given them new life, have given them freedom in their community to live out his ways, his calling in such a way that is just free and liberating. And today we're going to talk about the idea of worship, the idea of worship and the idea of idolatry. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. These are the decrees and the laws you must be careful to follow in the land the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess, that as long as you live in the land, you are to follow these decrees. He said, destroy completely all the places on the high mountains and on the hills and every under, under every spreading tree where nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. He says to break down their altars, to smash their sacred stones, to burn their Asherah poles in the fire, to cut down the idols of their gods, and to wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all of your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling, to that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes, your special gifts, what you have vowed to give, and your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. In verse 8 it says, You are not to do as we do here today, everyone, as he sees fit. Will you pray with me, please? Father, as we pause and pray over this passage, my simple prayer is that your word will speak boldly to our hearts, that your spirit will stir in our souls, that you will transform our minds and conform each one of us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you all, but these words seem what foreign to me. I don't have an Asherah pole in my backyard, I don't have any altars any sacred stones. I don't even have a high mountain where I worship some ancient foreign god, right? So how do these verses apply to me? I have nothing to smash. I have nothing to break. I have nothing to tear down. I heard the story about a man who could not spell the word the correctly. Every time he tried to type the, he always hit the H after the E. So his the became Tay. 
Luckily, his lazy fingers were corrected with a solid red line, right? His computer notified him, his phone notified him that the has become Tay. However, one day when he was trying to change that word back to the, he told his word processor to include Tay in the dictionary as a correct spelling of this foreign word. And now he no longer knew when he spelled the incorrectly because autocorrect never, no longer corrected him when he made that mistake. And I think about this poor guy, if he's anything like me, he'll have to YouTube, how in the world do you change that, right? He'll have to dig down deep into the processor and figure out what do I have to change so that it will recognize this word as misspelled. And as I think about this passage this morning and the foreign gods and these idols and sacred stones, I think about how we might have to dig down deep, each one of us, into our own programming, into our own minds. I think our world has covered up and reprogrammed our minds to no longer recognize idolatry as an idolatry. It is not just a foreign concept. It's not just an ancient practice. And let's talk this morning about how idolatry has creeped into our lives and our homes. If you want to follow along in your notes, you can write down these words, the idolatry of duplicity. The idolatry of duplicity. The Canaanites believed and worshipped anything that would benefit their own lives. Baal was a very popular uh, god in Canaanite history. They believed that Baal would give them rain for their crops and healthy boys to work their fields. So they were polytheistic. Baal helped them, and so they worshipped Baal. The Asherah poles helped them, and so they would worship the god Asherah. They would probably even welcome a discussion about this god named Yahweh, and maybe even include Yahweh in their ensemble of gods. That's why in Deuteronomy you see so much of God being one. The Lord is one. Last week, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the God of gods. God is declaring himself as the only God in a polytheistic culture. God is declaring himself the only God in a polytheistic culture. And Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. He said, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, he said. And so he told him this parable. The ground of a rich certain man yielded an abundant crop and harvest. 
And he said to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store all these crops. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool this very night. Your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. In this passage <clears throat> and in this context, Jesus was actually responding to someone in the crowd. Jesus was teaching, maybe like this. Someone stood up, waved his hand at Jesus. God is... Got his attention. Hey, 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 rabbi, hey, hey, teacher, will you tell my brother to divide up our estate? <laughs> Jesus evidently looked at his heart and realized that this man and maybe others in the crowd were worshiping two gods. One was a god of money and the other was Yahweh. And what a perfect way for us to examine our hearts. Our culture may not have sacred stones or Asherah poles. Oh, but we've got money. And we have lots of it. And if we dig down deep, we have to ask ourselves, are we serving God? Or are we serving greed? And that's just one area of duplicity, where we believe that if we can just show up to church on a Sunday morning to sing our songs of praise the rest of the week, we can serve whatever we want. Maybe it's our jobs, or maybe it's our family, or maybe it's greed. I want to share more with you this morning. I think there's also an idolatry of democracy an idolatry of democracy. Now hang on with me, Jeff. Hang on with me. Politically speaking, I do believe in democracy. I don't think our country should, could, should adopt socialism or communism or, or even a theocracy, okay? However, nowhere in the Bible does it say that God's church should operate in a democracy. It doesn't say it. And we somehow worship Democracy. We believe that if enough people say something is true, if enough people say something is true, it's got to be true. If enough people can vote this is true, well, then it must be true. And that's a, that's a very dangerous standard of truth, would you not say? History tells us that it's dangerous. 1920. Up until 1920, women were not allowed to vote. And after the 19th Amendment of the Constitution, only white women were allowed to vote. And how many years did the majority of people think that it was okay 
That would be the standard of truth. Now, democracy has amended the Constitution, but up until that time, democracy also allowed for a standard of injustice. And we believe as Christians that there is only one standard of truth, and that's God's Word. Now, we believe that because of examples like what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy. Remember, he says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, great patience, careful instruction, and why? Why should he hold to any kind of standard and any kind of truth? Paul says, there will come a time when people will not put up with truth, with sound doctrine. Instead, listen, to see, suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who will say whatever their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and instead turn aside to myths. You know, with, with enough charisma and with enough logic, anyone could gather a crowd to amend God's Word. But God's Word cannot be amended, we're told. His truth is a constant, we're told. And God certainly warns in this passage that people will try to do it. And even here in the 12th chapter, Moses and, and God, they say, we can't continue to worship God as everyone sees fit. Right? No, God will tell you where to worship and what to give and how to sacrifice and what kind of words to use. So maybe there's Idols of duplicity in your life. Uh, maybe there's an idol democracy where you have turned to the words of men instead of the words of God. But let's talk about one that's prevalent today and probably steps on most of our toes, including mine. And that's good old idolatry of self. You know, even as I was reading this passage... I was reading it to myself. What is God saying to me? How does this passage apply to me? What do I need to do differently? Here's a truth we all need to swallow. God isn't talking to you. He's not talking to me. In fact, the appropriate hermeneutic is this. That God is talking to Israel as they prepare to enter the promised land. God was speaking to a community who needed direction as they created a society that would reflect his rule and his reign. And therefore the correct application is, what does this passage say to us? What does this passage say to our community. When we care more about ourselves than others, 
we kind of miss the truth sometimes. We get obsessed with, what does this word mean for me? And that sometimes can interfere with, what does this word mean for us? Remember the, the golden rule, right? It's to love God and to love others. And how many times does it say something about me? God warns his community in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all this is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, the pride of this life, it, it's not from the Father, it's of the world. And Satan has been trying to get us to focus on ourselves since the garden. Remember, Jesus was asked to define neighbor by an expert of the law. And we're told in Luke chapter 10 that this expert was trying to trap Jesus. But Jesus tells the story of a man who was beaten by robbers and left to die at the side of the road. You probably know this parable, that a priest and a Levite both see the man, but both pass by on the other side. And they probably had good reasons for it too. Ceremonial cleanliness? Maybe they were busy? Maybe it just wasn't their problem. But Jesus uses the Samaritan as the example of a true test of a neighbor. You see, it's not just about our personal salvation or me, me, me. Love your neighbor as yourself means there's a corporate level to our faith. You aren't the only one who's going to be judged at the end of the time. The church will be judged. Look at Revelation. As God gives messages, not to John, but revealed through John to the churches. Our local community of faith will be judged. The point that I'm making, of course, is that the idolatry of self, it can be a dangerous path to walk when we forget that we're part of a bigger community. And that's important. The army of Alexander the Great, he was advancing on Persia. And they were doing really, really well. But there was this one critical point where it appeared that his, his troops may be defeated you see that the, the troops had done so well and had taken on so much plunder that they had become weighted down. They were losing their effectiveness in combat. And we're told that Alexander told his troops to heap all their plunder into one big pile and they burned it. The men, they complained... But then someone wrote, it was as if wings had been given to them and they walked lightly again. Some of y'all are weighted down this morning. The idols that our culture has offered you. We're trying to serve 
Yahweh, our Lord, the God of Israel and Jesus Christ. But we also want to listen to them teachings that kind of tickle our ears. We're trying to be Christians alone, all by ourselves, being greedy and turning to money. And God's word to you this morning is to break down those altars, to smash those stones, to burn those poles, to cut down the idols, and to listen, to wipe out their name. Name your idol, and then wipe it out. Name your idol, and wipe it out. We cannot be the community of faith that God wants us to be if we're each one of us, and even the church itself, carrying around these idols that this culture has offered to us. You may think it's too hard. You may think of the task as overwhelming, much like these Troops who are burning this plunder, you may think that, oh gosh, this is even a little silly. But I'm told that Christ defeated sin and death on the cross, and I believe it. Cast your idols down as you take communion this morning, because Christ has defeated sin and death. We're going to sing a song that declares God is Lord of Lords as we sing How Great Thou Art. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come on up, and we're going to stand together as we uh, sing the song and go to one of these three communion stations that are set up over here and uh, take the cups, and if you'll take them back to your seat and reflect as we sing, uh, we'll have uh, someone come up. I don't remember who it is this time. Who? I still don't know. Oh, Carl's coming. Fantastic. <laughs> Carl's going to share with us a few thoughts, and then we'll take communion together. Will you stand with me as we sing and as we pray? Our dear and heavenly Lord, you are Lord of lords. You are God of gods. You are King of kings. You are great and mighty and powerful. And as we uh, sing these next songs and reflect on your work. We pray, Lord, that you'll accept this offering of praise. I pray, Lord, that you'll search each one of us to identify the idols that we are holding on to, that we might let them go, that we might smash them down, that we might tear them down, that we might wipe out their names, that we could be a community of faith that you've called us to be. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.